Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Can you say praise the Lord? You're supposed to say yes. Not... I, sorry, my humor is a little funny sometimes, but when someone asks a question like that, everyone responds that way. But the question was, can you say praise the Lord? The answer is yes. <laughs> but I get it. We can praise the Lord, and it's good to say praise the Lord. Um, this morning, I'm, I'm excited to share a message with you on the Lord's Supper. And uh, I believe I preached a similar message about four years ago, but I don't know who remembers that, but I do. And, uh, and this morning, the, the heart behind why this message is very simple. What we're going to do at the end of today, before we leave, is to gather around this table. We're not going to literally gather, but, but the idea of coming around the Lord's table for the Lord's Supper. And, and maybe you've been in church so long that you don't even remember what this means anymore. And all this is, is is a ritual, perhaps. Today, I want to remind you about the reality of what Jesus has done for you and for me and the reasoning as to why this is what it is and why it's important that we gather and celebrate and remember what Jesus has done. And so this is, you've heard it called maybe a communion service. Maybe where you, you grew up, it was maybe called the Lord's Supper or Holy Supper they're all right. They're not wrong. Um, what's important is the meaning behind what we're doing today. And this is really the heart and the focus of the message. Um, but before we get to that, in Bible college, I remember going to the mail room. And I have a picture of kind of what it, what it looked like. And, you know, there are all these boxes. And, and I remember every day going to check. You know, I went to school in the States, far, far away from home. And I had no friends, no, I didn't know anybody. So to me, the mail was like the only link to home. And you're like, what about FaceTime? That didn't exist. I'm not old, but I'm that old. That FaceTime, Facebook, all of this stuff didn't exist. So mail was one of the primary ways. And I had just gotten a Yahoo email account. So that was fairly new. But I remember going. 288 was my box number. And there was nothing and I would check again. There was nothing. But then, not long after arriving at school, there was a box. You want to know what was in the box? Pistachio nuts. And I didn't really ask for them. I didn't really care for them. I, didn't, I did like them. I knew they were expensive. But you know what? It meant a lot to me. After looking and seeing nothing. And then getting pistachios, I was like, maybe money could have been better. Uh, some Starbucks gift cards. Those existed back then. But the pistachio nuts were enough because, you know, it was a reminder that, hey, someone cares enough that there's someone on the other end that, that was thinking about me. In a similar way, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if anyone remembers or knows this young man in the picture, but he was a brilliant young pastor and also a seminary teacher, but he also opposed Hitler's policies in the 1930s leading up to the war. And about 10 weeks after his arrest, he writes a letter to his parents. And in the letter, he talked about a parcel that he had received from them. 
And he ended his letter with these words. Such things, I'm quoting it now, so I'll read it. Such things give me greater joy than I can say. He was talking about the package he received. Although I am utterly convinced that nothing can break the bonds between us, I seem to need some outward token or sign to reassure me. In this way, material things become the vehicles of spiritual realities. I'm going to say that again. In this way, material things become the vehicles of spiritual realities. And he ends by saying, I suppose it is rather like the felt need in our religion for sacraments. And so, here's a package today from the Lord, right here. It's before us. And with the Lord's help, like I already said, I want to preach to you this simple message on the Lord's Supper. Now, as a Canadian Assemblies of God church, uh, I just was curious what the Assemblies of God website would put in regards to the ordinances that we keep. And here's what it says from ag.org. Ordinances are visible representations of invisible realities. We are water baptized to signify our entry into the kingdom of God through identification with Christ in his death and resurrection. By the way, as a side note, we're going to have a baptism service in September. You could uh, go to the website and sign up for that, even today. And there are already two people on board waiting for September. And so we're excited because this is one of the ordinances of the church. And we identify with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So symbolically, we enter the water, and then we come back up out of the water, symbolizing death to my old self but raised to new life in Christ. And so the AG part ends with this. We come to the Lord's table to remember the present reality of the cross, to make our lives accountable to God, and to look forward to Christ's return. As we participate in the ordinances, we connect both to God and to his people. So again, it's the relationship that goes this way, but also this way. That we can't overlook one another as we approach this table either. And so we're going to discover a little more of that. The Lord's Supper for us today can't just be a ritual. You might just say, ah, take the bread, drink the cup. It's not a ritualistic thing that we do. And it's not just solely done out of tradition. But the Lord's Supper is a reminder of what Jesus did in the past. And it's a symbol of our present relationship with him. And a promise of what he will do in the future. So when we're participating today, it's that we are agreeing on these three things. So it's not just a ritual thing, yeah, yeah, pray and then we were done. No, you have to understand what it is you are actually partaking of. And so today, if you have your Bible, would you stand with me? We're going to read two verses out of Luke chapter 22. We're going to rely heavily on Scripture because I'm not here to share my opinion about what the Holy Supper or the Communion or the Lord's Supper is all about. It's written already in the Word. So Luke chapter 22, verse 19, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. Luke twenty-two nineteen. 19. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Who, who is he? Jesus. 
Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Verse 20, After supper he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. Lord, we've, we've spent time worshiping you with our hands and our mouth, Lord, with our giving, but now, Lord, we honor you with our hearts and our attention. Lord, we give you this time to speak into us. Lord, afresh and anew, help us to, to remember why we come to this table. Lord, not man's opinion of why, but what your word says and instructs us to do in how we approach the table, in how we approach you, and in how we approach one another. And so, God, I pray that you would just um, give us this helpful reminder that what we're about to do before we leave today has so much significance and meaning for us as believers. And so, God, we don't treat this subject lightly, but we honor you as we honor your word as we remember everything that you've done for us. Lord, I pray for your anointing upon me as I speak and communicate your word. Lord, I ask that I wouldn't overcomplicate it, but Lord, with simplistic words, communicate effectively under your anointing, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. There are three reminders I want to share with you concerning the Lord's Supper. And the first is the reminder of His death. The reminder of His death. And I, and I get it. Some of you don't like to talk about death. Some of you don't like to think about death. And for some, maybe the thought of death keeps you up at night. I don't know. But we're not here today for a funeral. I want to be very clear because Jesus isn't dead, but He is alive. Can somebody say amen? But we need... The reminder of his death, as we approach the table today, we have to understand that it's also serving us as a reminder of what he did for us on the cross. You know, Jesus was telling his disciples, this bread represents my body, which is broken. Now, he hadn't yet died, so they didn't really understand the fullness of Jesus' words. But we who are on the other side of the cross, we understand it. And so he said, this, this is my body, which is broken. That's why I, I symbolically, for the visual, I'll rip the bread. I break the bread because we want to remember what Jesus did, the high price he did when he laid his life down for us. And then the cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. You see, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, it, it talks about how Christ is the perfect sacrifice once and for all. In the Old Testament, they would have to do this as an ongoing thing, that they would have to kill a lamb, the blood would have to be shed, and that was under the Old Testament law. But under the New Testament, the New Covenant, what Jesus did for you and for me was once and for all. It is the finished work of the cross. And so Hebrews chapter 9 talks about how Christ was the, the pure and spotless Lamb of God. That his blood was shed for you and for me, once and for all. Perfect sacrifice. But verse 22 of Hebrews 9 says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. 
For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So Jesus came not to abolish the law, he said, but Jesus, in his own words, said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so this is what he did when he died for you and for me. So we have to talk about the death of Jesus because it was the blood that satisfied the law. And so Jesus came as a pure and holy sacrifice, but not to redo. It was once and for all. It's the finished work of the cross. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, it talks about this. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So when we partake in the Lord's Supper, there is the reminder of what Jesus did for you and for me. The price that he paid. You see, salvation is always free. If you're ever in a service or watching TV and someone says, give an offering and Jesus will forgive your sins, run. Turn the other way. Because it is the free gift of God. But I want you to know, though it was free, it cost him everything. It cost him his life. He laid down his life for you and for me. Though it's free, it didn't come cheap. It cost him everything. And although it's a memorial of death, the Lord's Supper, like I said, is not a funeral. His death is a tremendous gift of life for you and for me. You see, it's the beautiful, it's a juxtaposition. His death brings us life. But he's not dead, he's alive. And we have this human need to cherish experiences and memories. We have this need inside of us. You know, I was, every so often I listen to uh, Winds of Worship, Volume 7, and it was from Brownsville Revival. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that album. Lindell Cooley was the worship leader. But I remember, I, I don't know, it was like 1997 or 98, that I was listening to that. And there's a song called Holy Love. There's a song called Let the River Flow that they sing on that album. Every time I hear that, it takes me back to my bedroom. And I would just put that CD, yeah, that long ago, put the CD in, and I would have it playing throughout the whole entire night, and I would wake up in the morning, and it would still be on. This is just the kind of atmosphere that, I don't know, for some reason, at that young age, I had a desire to always be in the presence of the Lord. But I remember listening to the, the, the songs, but when I heard them yesterday and during this week, it took me back to those days where, not that I had nothing better to do, but I would just be in my room in the presence of the Lord, reading my Bible, crying out to God as a teenager, as a young person. This is what, what so the song brings me back to this uh, memory and this experience that I had with the Lord. And as humans, we have these needs to cherish those kind of memories. Maybe you hear a song on the radio and it reminds you of like your high school girlfriend or boyfriend perhaps, I don't know. Right, But there's this need in us. And just like the past should serve as a great reminder of where we were and how far we've come, so should the death of Jesus serve as a great reminder of his work to redeem us and restore us back to the Father. This is what Jesus did. There is a need for us to look back and to remember. Maybe it won't be a song. Maybe it's going to be a, a certain scripture. Maybe it is a worship song. But we're going to remember what Jesus did. Being in church on a Sunday where we're serving communion, 
the Lord's Supper, that's a great reminder. It's a great opportunity where we pause and we take time to remember. But don't let it get old. I want to encourage you. Don't let this get old. Because what Jesus did for us matters significantly. And it's not just for us, but for those who have yet to encounter his love. Because this message is for them as much as it is for us. But the power and the need for remembering, uh, it's seen all throughout Scripture. And I just want to show you one instance in Joshua chapter 4, verse 20. It says, it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Verse 21, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So all throughout history, we've had the habit and the need to create memories and, and ways to remember. The Lord's Supper for us today is a way that we can always remember what Jesus has done for us. And then Exodus 12, just I'm not going to get into it too much, but it talks about Passover. And, and what they did is they took the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorposts of the house. And what it says in Exodus 13, it says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, God was telling his people, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. But check verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And that's why Jewish people to this day still celebrate Passover. Why? To remember. To remember. We remember what Jesus did for us as well. The ancient Israelites looked back to the Passover events as the defining moment in their history. When their identity as a nation began... It was when they escaped death and slavery, and through the powerful hand of God, they were free to serve the Lord. But I want to take it a step further and apply it to you and to me. Because in the church, we look back to the events surrounding the death and the resurrection of Jesus, get this, as the defining moment in our history. You see that? What Jesus did, it's the defining moment in our history. You know, they say there are two important days. The day that you were born and the day you discover why you were born, that's a true saying. But you know what I think as believers? It's the day that you are saved and the day you discover your purpose in, in Christ and your identity in Christ. Nothing can compare to knowing him and then to knowing why he created you the way he did. Identity. But we, we relate to that as our defining moment in history. And that is how we escape death and the slavery of sin. And that is how we're freed to serve the Lord. The Lord's Supper is a memorial of our defining moment in history as believers. So number one, it's a reminder of the death. Number two, it's a reminder of our relationship. Our relationship. And like we've already said and established, it's in two dimensions. It's, it's upward, my relationship with God. But it has to also include my relationship with people. And I just want to break those down quickly. In the Lord's Supper, we show that we share in Christ Jesus. We commune with Him. You can't have communion without a common union. So we commune with Him. 
We are united in him. And the New Testament speaks of our sharing with Jesus in several ways. Are you ready? I'm going to fire off some scriptures if you're taking notes. Good. If not, you can catch this on the podcast, through the website, on iTunes and Spotify, whatever. Here we go. How do we share? We share in his, number one, crucifixion. Galatians 2.20. I myself no longer live But Christ lives in me. And then Colossians 2.20 as well. You have died with Christ. So we share in his crucifixion. Number two, we share in his death. Romans 6.4 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Number three is resurrection. We share in his resurrection. Ephesians 2 verse 6, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms all because we are one with Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins. And then the last one under resurrection Colossians 3 verse 1, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. And then the last way we share is in his life. We share life. Galatians 2.20, I myself no longer live, we already read it, but Christ lives in me. So I live my new life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, our lives are in him. Our lives are in him and he is in us. Jesus said in John, abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The Lord's Supper symbolizes this spiritual reality that Christ and I were one. We're united I share in all of these things with Christ. So the Lord's Supper helps us to look upward to Christ, to be mindful that true life can only be found in Him and with Him. So Christ is is an important part of my life. You know, at home, if like we're we're going through a process of cleaning right now, our basement. We have a lot of stuff down there. But could you imagine if uh, let's just say my dining room was, was all a mess, right? And I just basically take everything out of the dining room and I shove it into one of my kids' bedrooms, right? And I just barely close that door. But the dining room looks great, right? As guests walk in the house, they're going to see what first? The dining room, because that's the first room that you hit. And, it, and they'll be like, wow, so, so beautiful. But could you imagine if they need to go upstairs and maybe we got to like, you know, they have a baby or they, they want to put their jackets down and we have no more room in our closet. So we normally just put them on the bed, right? Could you imagine if I open that door in that room and it's just a disaster and it's, it's so full? It's maybe a, a silly illustration. Hopefully we don't really do that in real life. <laughs> maybe it's just the closet we do it. But some of us do that with Jesus. That we just want to give the impression that everything is clean that everything looks good about me. I present myself as being clean, but really in the depth, in that third bedroom, not the first, not the master one, but maybe the third bedroom, it's somewhere down here in your heart. 
that's where all the junk still is. And, and really, you make it look like you've given it all to Jesus. But, but deep down here, there's still this problem of sin. That there's still the lust. There's still the, the addiction or the abuse. There's still the pain and the hurt. The unforgiveness, the bitterness, the root is still there. And maybe you, you do a good job at trimming the weed, but guess what? I've learned as we're keeping our grass, trying to have only grass, if you just, you know, mow over the weeds, they're still there. <laughs> you know, it'll look good for a few days, but those weeds grow faster than the blades of grass. And, and so you might keep it look, you know, you might look like you're all together, but deep down there's still those areas that you haven't given to God. I want to encourage you today, if you're going to abide in Him, He has to abide in you. Not just in the dining room, not just in the kitchen, but in the third bedroom of your heart. That He has to go in those deep places where, where you thought, like I thought this was dead and buried, but the reality is the weed is still there, the root is still there. And unless you deal with it, you won't find freedom. You want Jesus to live in you? He wants to live in every part. The only way is if you give him access to every part. And it's important this morning. I can't gloss over this. Some of us, maybe we have relationship with Jesus, but it's not as deep as he desires. Why? Because there's still this third bedroom that you haven't dealt with. And, and maybe you think it's... I can't let Jesus into that part. It, he's too holy for this. Listen, blood is messy, but the blood of Jesus washes you whiter than anything else. I want you to know that. The blood of Jesus will wash you white as snow. So stop hiding those things from him. And, and when you say yes to him, you give him everything. Or else you haven't give him, given him anything, to be honest. And so there's that relationship. You abide in Him. Listen, God gave you access to everything under heaven and in heaven. But in, when it comes to Jesus, have you given Him everything? It's important to make that distinction and point. 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. We're going to get into this now because it deals with not just my relationship with him, listen, sin separates me from God, always. But I have the, the antidote to that is Jesus Christ. He came that we might be reconciled to God. When, when communion is passed, you know, I remember being a kid growing up in church and some people would not participate, but I've seen them participate in the past. And I'm thinking, what's wrong? What's, and they go... You know, you're thinking, like, is there sin in his life? Here, we don't judge, but I want, I want to say this to you. We should examine our hearts, ourselves. If there's known sin in your life, before we partake today, confess it to God. Get your heart at the point where it is ready to enjoy and to remember everything Christ. Don't, don't say, no, I'm not going to participate. No, he died. We're doing this to remember that we don't have to live as a slave to sin. He died to set me free. So don't, don't just go, no, not this time. I'm not ready. Get ready. 
Because before we leave, we're going to participate today. Get yourself ready. So this is this relationship has to be right. The relationship has to be a right relationship. What about this relationship? It has to be right as well. It has to be right. So we just read from Corinthians about examining our heart before eating the bread and drinking the cup. You know, when we examine ourselves, we often find sin sometimes. This is normal. It's, it's not a reason to avoid the Lord's Supper. It is simply a reminder that we need Jesus in our lives. We need Him. And only He can take away our sins. And so as we talk now about our relationship with one another under this headline of remembering relationship, Paul criticized the Corinthian church, the Christians we're talking about, for their manner of observing the Lord's Supper. The wealthy members were coming first. They were eating a great meal. Some of them were even getting drunk. The poor members came last and they were still hungry. And the wealthy were not sharing with the poor. This is 1 Corinthians. You can find it. Chapter 11. They were not really sharing in the life of Christ by doing that. So you can't just honor him and not honor one another as we approach this table, basically. They weren't sharing their life in Christ, for they were not doing what he would do. They were not understanding what it means to be members of the body of Christ and that members have a responsibility towards one another. Did you know that? Last Sunday, if you were here, we had a, a baby dedication. And, and what do we do? As much as I charge the parents, there's also a charge for the church. There's a commitment that we make as the family towards this family, towards the baby as well. And, and it doesn't just happen for, for young babies. It happens as we grow and as we rub shoulders with one another. Will there be conflict? Sure. You know, how many of you believe the scriptures that when the scripture says iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, right? We like that scripture and we're encouraged by it. It, it. it makes us feel good. But when you think of iron striking iron... It's a bit aggressive. In fact, there has to be the friction, right, for, for iron to actually sharpen iron. And this is, I feel like, in church where, where we get on edge because we, we're not comfortable. We don't know how to communicate feelings effectively, perhaps. Maybe we have to do a whole series on communication. I don't know. But if, if iron sharpens iron, if that's good for me, then I have to be okay, I heard someone tell me this week, and I hope I get it right as it comes out of my mouth, that we're called to unity, not uniformity. Okay, one person understood it. We're called to unity, not uniformity. Uniformity means we all look the same, we dress the same, we talk the same, we agree the same. Unity doesn't mean that all of those things are the same. We are all different. It's okay to disagree with something that I prefer versus something that you prefer. That's okay. It's just, you know, I won't talk to you next week. <laughs> right? That's, but that's, that's our response usually. If we have a disagreement or there's a bit of iron sharpening iron, we kind of choose to go like, okay, you stay there, I'm going to stay here. We can coexist, but we're not going to mingle. We're not gonna, but I don't think that's the Jesus way. Amen? The Jesus way is it's okay to rub shoulders and to let the iron sharpen iron. 
But we have to remember to do it God's way as well. There's a right way to talk and a wrong way to speak. And so we have to make sure that whatever we do, you might say, please just finish that thought. Tell me, how, how do we do this? Right? Let your speech be seasoned with grace. So you can say something, but how you say it matters almost more than what you're actually saying. 101. Communication 101. So it's important that we understand body language, all of these things play. Saying something through a text message is very much, uh, is very easily misinterpreted. The tone is, is missing and all of those things. So if you have something, if you want iron to sharpen, don't do it via text message. Not a good idea. Don't do it through Facebook either. I need to move on to get through But our relationship with one another is so critical that Paul was writing to the Christians in Corinth saying, you guys have this all wrong. This isn't about you getting your fill. This is about you coming together as the body and participating and remembering everything that Jesus did. But you guys are, are doing the exact opposite. And I just want to read a few more scriptures and then we're going to get to the last point. He tells them it's not the Lord's Supper that you're concerned with or interested in when you come together. And, and I'm sure some of them would have been surprised because they're doing it under the guise, under the umbrella of this is the Lord's Supper. We're, doing, we're honoring God through this. But he's saying, no, you're not. Verse 21, he tells them each one proceeds without any regard for others. Verse 22, such actions result in the disgraceful situation of some being hungry, and like we said, others were, being, were getting drunk. How, how is that a good picture of the church? And so I just want to wrap this by saying how we treat one another matters a lot. How we speak about one another matters a lot. Church leadership, the deacons, those who lead ministries, servant leaders, those who serve, and one another as we rub shoulders, how we speak, it's of utmost importance. God is watching, but you know who else? The world. When, when people come in and we pray, like, we want this to feel like home, guess what? Yeah, at home we do rub shoulders sometimes, but we still love each other. We still hang out. We still have to see one another every single day. That's how family life is. We don't always agree, but, but we're, we love each other. That has to be evident in the house of God. Can somebody say amen? You might say, is Pastor John addressing an issue that he knows about? No. I want to address it before it would ever become an issue. So number two, we have to remember our relationship with Jesus, but also with one another. Thirdly, is the reminder of his promise to return. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. You see, communion is temporary. One day, the ordinance will be replaced permanently by fellowship among Christ and his people in eternity. I'm going to say this again. Communion, what we're doing today, this is temporary. We're not going to do this forever. But one day, this is going to permanently be replaced with fellowship among Christ and his people. Yeah, in heaven. In heaven. In Revelation 19.9, listen to this. And the angel said, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. You see, even Jesus spoke about this when he told the twelve at their final Passover meal. He said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on 
until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So there's coming a time in the future when we're not going to do this here on earth, but we're going to do this with Jesus once again. And this is the beauty of what he's called us to remember, his promise to return. Listen, whenever we participate, we're reminded of Jesus' promise. There will be a great messianic banquet, a wedding supper of celebration. You know, the bread, the cup, these are just, it's a miniature rehearsal of what will be the greatest victory celebration in all of history. I don't know if you know and you see it that way yet, but I want you to know that's what it is. Paul wrote that for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to invite our deacons to join me at the front. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. As they come, I asked myself, what would it look like to lose sight of the purpose of this? What would it look like? What would happen? What would change? And here are a few things that came to mind. We would trade reality of death and resurrection for a ritual. We would, we would trade rea ritual, reality for a ritual. We would trade relationship for religion. And we would trade the promise of his return for a story of pathetic romance. Oh, this Jesus, yeah, he loved us so much, blah, 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 blah. When we lose sight of this, it just becomes a ritual. It becomes a religious thing that we do every so often. And it's just a story of some guy that apparently loved the church. But when we understand it, we understand the reality that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. We understand that it's for relationship, that we have a relationship with him and with one another, and that there's a great promise of his return. So there's a rich meaning, church friend, behind what we're doing today. There's a rich meaning. It's not a light thing, it's something serious. And at, as it is, I'm gonna ask that no one move, no one step out of the room, but as the kids come, they're going to join us. Uh, you might say, well, what are the requirements at Weston for this? Like, how do we do it here as a church? You don't have to be a member of the church officially, but you have to be a, a member of the family of God. What does that mean? That you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only requirement that we have. Why? Well, because we're remembering what he did for us. And unless you believe in him and you've accepted what he's done for you, then how can you, with a clear conscience, participate in what we're doing? It's a holy moment for the church. It's a holy moment. And you know what? I just feel led before we even participate. Maybe there's someone here that you have not given your life to Christ. I'm just going to step up so you can see me. This is a, a table where we are invited. And here's the thing. You might be in this room. You heard everything I've said, but you're like, so tell me, pastor, tell me, 
how do I have this relationship with Jesus then so I can be a part of this family, so I can participate? It's very simple. You invite him to be Jesus in your life, to be Lord and Savior of everything, your past, your present, and your future. And I don't know if there's someone here, you've never made that decision, but if you're here and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask you in the honesty of this moment, would you slip your hand? I just want to lead you in that prayer to help you pray and invite Jesus. And is there anyone here before we move forward? I just want to give someone, if there is the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Amen. Amen. I don't see any hands, so we're going to proceed. And here's the thing. At Weston, like I said, uh, the only requirement is that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and we will honor the Lord as we, and we will remember what He has done for us. So the Scripture says we examine ourselves. You know, I've been speaking the whole time. Maybe you just need a moment. So as the deacons now prepare to pass out the elements, this is your opportunity between you and the Lord but also maybe there's something with someone else who's in the room. I would even submit this thought to you that go and make it right. If you have, uh, if there needs to be reconciliation with someone here in the body of Christ, go and make it right before we partake, partake today. And the Bible says that we honor God, but we also honor one another as we do this. The, what happens when we don't? We drink God's judgment. And that's not something that we will on anybody. So we ask that as the bread comes in the cup, that you would just hold it in your hand, that you would wait till everyone is served, and then I'll serve our deacons, and then we'll participate together. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. But um, as well, if you need a gluten-free option, just lift your hand and pat right here at the front. He's going to come, and he'll uh, give you that as well. So. Let's just begin to examine our hearts before the Lord. Amen. Deacons, as soon as you are ready, you can go and distribute the elements today. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening to our Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.